So I've been trying to get my head into stem cell technologies because uh, I'm trying to save my wife's life. Uh, she has ALS, which is amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, otherwise known as Lou Gehrig's disease or motor neuron disease, which means that over the course of the next uh, two to three years, she is going to be losing all functionality of her body, meaning all muscles are just going to deteriorate and she will be trapped inside of her body with an absolutely fresh, brilliant, on-the-spot brain and mind. Um, she'll be able to see things, but she won't be able to talk. She won't be able to do a bunch of things like swallow or, you know, breathe. It's a, it is a, it's the worst disease that uh, currently exists in, in our society, in America, and I would say maybe the whole world. So I need your help because I can't afford this. There's some stuff happening in America that <laughs> I'm going to talk a little bit about, actually, um, that has prevented our country from being able to keep up with the miraculous stem cell technologies that other countries are developing, that we actually helped get started. All right, all right, I'm gonna, I need to calm down and lay this story out. Okay, but first, please, if you can, please donate to our fund. I'm gonna put the address up on the screen here. Look, I, I'm not trying to become a YouTuber here. This isn't a, I'm, trying, I'm not asking you to subscribe to my video and hit the bell icon. You know, th I, I, we need help. This is what I'm doing these videos for, is I'm trying to get the word out that there's a, Something's going on here, folks, and um, we need to do something about it. And it's affecting me to my core. It's, you know, it's become my entire life, unfortunately. Um, so, you know, I want to talk about it because I need to let off, let out some steam. You know, the problem with this, this disease is once you get it, I mean, you know, my wife has it, but I have it. As far, as far as I'm concerned, we both have this thing, you know, and and it just consumes you, and it it takes over everything in your in your soul. And I'm sure other incurable diseases do the same thing to you know people as well. But this this was I was not prepared for this. What song is that? Anyone? If you can name that tune, I will say, hey, good job, man. <laughs> Okay, the technology that we're pursuing here in the U.S. is this neuron therapy that the company Brainstorm Cell Therapeutics, along with a, about a $16 million grant from the California Regenerative Medicine Institute, um, is right now in the final throes of getting FDA approval so that they can market, you know, set up licensing agreements and you know, register, do their thing, you know, but at this rate, the treatment that my wife needs today will not be available until 2021 at the earliest, unless, of course, some something changes and changes quick, right? What do they call it? Uh, it's the uh, deus ex machina, right? Where some uh, deity at the, comes in at the end and throws the lightning bolts and fixes the whole show, right? And at this point, I'm can't believe I'm saying this, the deus ex machina that we're hoping for is the White House is going to take action and put in a, a uh, an executive order that demands that the um, FDA create, at the very least, create a um, either a non-binding or a third-party analysis agreement with this company. Anyway, okay, so uh, let me get back to what I'm talking about. Because even when this this neuron does get approved, there is a chance that insurance companies are going to balk at footing the bill for ALS patients because it, first of all, would be the first stem cell therapy in mass use in America, which means there are a lot of X factors that are unforeseen and insurance companies will use anything as a way to crawl out of pain. Now, I, I know it'll be classified as a life-saving treatment and it'll probably be upheld in a court of law if anyone can afford to you know, take insurance companies to courts for something like this. But it's not unheard of for insurance companies, especially those facing you know, new expensive FDA-approved treatments, to accept the treatments but with provisions that require the beneficiary to fall within the same inclusion or exclusion criterion of the clinical trial. 
So for example, one of the requirements for the clinical trial is that a patient has to be under 60 years old. So it's possible, though hopefully unlikely, that insurance companies will then say, okay, any anyone older cannot receive the treatment because they don't know if the efficacy of the treatment will have an effect on folks that were outside of the parameters of the clinical trial. I know this sounds ridiculous, sounds like the plot of a movie. It has happened in the past, though. This, this has happened. You really think that in a society that values money over life, <laughs> that this sort of thing wouldn't happen? Too far-fetched? Let's look again, my friends. <laughs> So that's what I've been uh, thinking a lot about. What exactly is stem cell technology? Is it going to be as important to all living creatures as like things like the internet has been? Will it be the catalytic technology that finally activates this ability for us to become immortal? Because honestly, that's what I think it is. And I think that's what's at stake. That's why the the religious zealots of all faiths and cultures are so adamantly clamoring against the use of these technologies, you know, the sanctity of life argument, that's, that's what they call it, you know? But what does that mean? What does that mean to you? What's the sanctity of life? We often use words correctly in context, even though most people wouldn't be able to actually know what the actual meaning of the word is, right? They infer meaning, you know, in their mind, but not necessarily have a correct understanding of what the word means. Like the word sentience, for example. Ask yourself, okay, right now, um, if ask yourself, have you heard of the word sentience? All right, here's the next one. Do you have an understanding of what it means? Okay, now could you use it in a sentence? Probably, right? For most of us, we've probably come across that word, probably in some sci-fi movie or something like that, and, and probably used the word sentience as a synonym for uh, consciousness or like intelligent life or something like that, right? But that's not what sentience means. In fact, in some ways, it's the polar opposite of what most people think the word sentience means. Sentience is the ability to feel, like feel, feel, you know, like, oh, you know, touch, pain. Not emotional concept of feelings like love. and I mean things like tickling <laughs> and, uh, you know, a soothing rub, you know, schmack across the punum. <clears throat> so, sanctity means what? It means to be holy or sacred, right? It means to be inviolable. Oh, inviolable. Um, inviolable means, what does inviolable mean? Uh, it means it can't be broken, it can't be challenged, but it comes from the realm of religion, okay? It's a God thing. It's a position that is taken by people that believe that life is bestowed by a creator, and as such, ne'er a man alive will, you know, be allowed to fondle that or try to influence it, because doing so would mean that humans and God can be on a, a level playing field, and that would render the holiness of the divine as nothing more than a parlor trick. So no, we must hold all God's creations under our protection. And what's interesting is that the Western churches apply this sanctity of life concept solely to humans. Why is that? It's referred to in sociology as <laughs> dominionism. Hello, dominionism. I like the word. I like dominion. It's beautiful. Um, but how does that work again? Dominionism? So are dogs or llamas not God's creatures? Are they not alive? <laughs> okay, so let's not worry about that right now. But what about... Let's just accept that for some reason, the dogma of the primary religions of the world place humans as as more holy or more sacred than whales or bacteria. Okay, what about contraception then? Because it seems like most religions are pretty coolio with contraceptive practices, but isn't the use of contraception interfering with God's plan? The majority of people who believe in God consider themselves righteous, but modernly righteous. Not, you know, really church-going, but devout in the same sense that you really believe in God. But also sort of on the science side too. In fact, secretly, <laughs> you probably know that there's something not quite right about how the big religions work and science 
science, you know, it can be proven. Um, but you still have a soft spot for your childhood, which is when you had most of your religious upbringing. So you're not quite ready to, you know, chuck it all. Or you genuinely believe that there is a creator and that it is watching or monitoring our choices, but you're not gonna pray for God to heal your broken leg. You're gonna take that thing to the hospital and let technologies and doctors make it all good. That's who we are and 70% of us or so who believe in God also understand that there's a difference between a ball of cells and a fetus. So we're more than fine with embryonic stem cell research and therapies because no life is being destroyed. No life is being destroyed in that process, okay? I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> so, so, sanctity isn't really what I wanted to focus on in this recording. I'm, I'm more interested in hashing out that life part of the sanctity of life phrase. So I think that any reasonable person would agree that even though there is a continuum, if you will, when it comes to questions like when does life begin or end, or that there is no beginning or end, just a continuum of varying states, we have to all decide what the criterion is for defining both life and the more sacred thing we call human life. Because life itself is a pretty basic thing. You know, bacteria are alive. You know, that dandelion at the end of that grassy driveway is alive. But we're not really talking about that kind of life when we make arguments about the sanctity of life. Shoot, as I mentioned earlier, we're not even talking about dogs and dolphin life, which is pretty complex. And it's filled with all sorts of emotions. You know, I mean, you got pets, I'm sure, you know. But that, no, that argument, the argument about the sanctity of life is really about people. But let's explore that idea for a second, shall we? People. So a person is what? How do, how, what's, how do you define personhood? Is it simply being animate? No. A, um, it's definitely more than being animate, able to move. What about breathing? Well, monkeys can breathe, but we wouldn't attribute personhood to them, right? Or would we? Now, I would, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, again, I'm speaking rhetorically here. I'm trying to represent the position of what I call religious zealotry. So, no, monkeys, uh, they don't qualify, okay? So, um, how about a thing with the brain? Can't do that, I don't like, because, you know, fruit flies have brains. So no, when you really press someone that makes that sanctity of life argument, <laughs> you and they very quickly will come to notice that they really haven't parsed out the positions much less than the definitions of the terms they're using. Ultimately, the realization comes when you engage this thought line just a bit further that since we're made of smaller parts like arms and blood cells and atoms and molecules, we can't say that the biological frame that houses our personhood is the same thing as our personhood, right? I mean, you wouldn't say your bedroom is your house, would you? It's part of it. But if it was gone, so, okay, imagine alien life descends onto your neighborhood and for some reason uses their advanced weaponry to just wipe out just your bedroom, nothing else, all right? So everything else is fine, but where your bedroom was, bye-bye, she's gone. Um, a little smoldering stream of smoke twisting into the sky. <laughs> Did you lose your house? No, house is still there. Or God forbid, you go to fight in a war to ensure the rich remain the rich and you lose your legs in a blast. So are you no longer a person? Of course you are. The leg is not the person. It's the narrative that's produced by that body-mind combination. That's what defines personhood, at least for me. We're in a constant state of physical renewal from our skin shedding to to growing wisdom teeth, all sorts of metamorphoses we're undergoing 
misdemeanor right from the get-go. So the body is this self-renewing husk and it, it, it's used to incubate what we call mind, which then becomes actually the thing we call people. Their ability to reason, to create language, to create art, their morality, their inner consciousness, all of which I just kind of bundle it all up into this term I call the narrative. Some people call it the soul, you know, the story. That's what we refer to life in this sense. That's what's holy. That's what we have to hold hallowed. We have, it's sacrosanct. I love that word. Not the cells in our bodies, not the molecules and the atoms and the quarks. I mean, <laughs> two or three years ago, some guy at the Max Planck Institute in Germany created a cell with the necessary machinery for it to divide on its own. Okay? We put that together with just two proteins, a couple of fat molecules, and some chemical energy. That's not some holy divine power, folks. These scientists are not... Oh, it's an organic machine. It's a cell. It's not a baby. It's not a fetus. There's no head. There's... <clears throat> There's no brain. There aren't organs, there's no skin. Um, but, like I was saying, um, there's got to be some point in the evolutionary process where we go from ingredients for life to the holy, sacred thing, you know, the human life. All right, so when exactly is that? So I'll, I'll submit some of my thoughts on that tip shortly, but maybe, you know, I think it'll help me to just kind of recap. The sanctity of life is too broad a statement to make. Life happens in a lot of ways. Single-celled organisms to <laughs> senators to goldfish to a lemon tree in your backyard to protozoa that swims into the uh, belly of a whale. Uh, those are That's all life. And no one in their right mind is going to defend the sanctity of lemons, or senators for that matter. Zingo! <clears throat> that, that stance should really be more about the sanctity of personhood. And personhood can only exist in a living human being. A living human being. A term like sanctity of life is, is a culture war slogan. You know, most major religion, you know, the members of the club, um, you know, they haven't really given it nearly the reflection that it needs because if they did, they would probably come to the same conclusions. But questioning moral convictions is not something that people want to do. But that's exactly what sanctity of life is, right? It's a moral conviction. It's something some people believe in. It's not a principle of physics or chemistry or, you know, anything objective. It's, an, it's about ideology. And if you know me, <laughs> you know how I feel about ideology and culture, a bit more controversially, right? I am not a fan. And to be clear, I am not saying I'm not a fan of your culture, your ideology. I'm talking about the concepts themselves. And I'm not speaking about heritage either. Culture is not heritage. Culture, okay, heritage is perhaps based on culture, but not the other way around. Culture is just like a big arrow that goes, go that way, hey, hey, Terrence. Now, if culture was something that we as individuals created without the influence of television or books or magazines or NPR or Terence McKenna or, you know, um, you know, any of these philosophers, whoever you're into, if you create your own roadshow, hey, I'm down with culture, but that's not exactly how people work, right? You know, Buckminster Fuller, read this cat. Culture is not your friend. It's the friend of churches. It's the friend of institutions. I mean, just look at our own culture. It, you know, in Western modern culture, we fetishize things, right? Like objects. We create consumer mania. We preach forms of, of uh, false happiness. You know, this guy I kept, I mentioned a couple times, Terrence McKenna was a 
person I read a lot uh, when I was in college. Um, you know, a modern American philosopher died, interestingly, of a um, brain tumor, a brain thing. Um, and, and, you know, he was a controversial cat as well because, you know, there's some parts of his <laughs> work that a lot of folks are, uh, not a lot, some people just don't get, really. That's really what is up. They don't get it. Uh, you may have heard of him, though, through Joe Rogan because he's a huge fan of Terrence McKenna, which is awesome. It's awesome. Um, and he's also a fan of his brother, Dennis McKenna, who's also another genius, but he's the, he was the scientist of the, the two brothers, you know, where Terrence was the, the gadfly, you know, and he, and Dennis was the, like, the actual uh, botanist, and, and um, so he didn't get his just desserts, but of course, now that, you know, that Terrence died, like, died like 20 years ago, oh no, was it 20 years ago? I don't know, um, 10 years ago. Um, now his brother is coming up, and it's because of Joe Rogan, you know, and of course Joe Rogan rocks. He's a good guy. You know? A little weird, but mostly a good guy. Anyway, um, so McKenna, he, he, um, he said, um, what culture does is that it invites people to diminish themselves as individuals and dehumanizes us by making us behave like a hive, like we're machines. Our culture is everything that we do from how we value lives to what we determine as important. And here in the U.S., it's based almost entirely on wealth, money. For example, I bet everyone watching this knows who Bill Gates is, or Steve Jobs, or Jeff Bezos, probably less likely on that side, even though he's the richest. Um, but how many of us could say anything of significance about the minds of modern time Philosophers like Buckminster Fuller, like Terence McKenna, Descartes, Marx, Kant, Noam Chomsky, Young. Carl, Carl Young doesn't get um, what he what he deserves, man. Uh, yeah, he improved. Um, he moved psychology um, a little bit, you know, nowhere near as much as Sigmund did, but. What Mark, what Jung did for psychology is is huge. It's huge. Anyway, you know, all of these brilliant thinkers, right? How, who can tell? You know, what 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 was what did Alexander Hamilton do, for example? Well, that's not a good example because of the musical. Now everybody knows who Alexander Hamilton is. Even the kids. I got middle school kids that love Alexander Hamilton. The Hamilton musical is just fantastic. Anyway, um, you know, Marshall McLuhan. Jean-Paul Sartre, Alfred North Whitehead, Wittgenstein, you know, these are great minds of, of our time, the purveyors of humankind. Steve Jobs convinced his chubby friend to pretend that they both came up with a brilliant concept and then bought a suit to talk about his friend's idea. If you can even really call him his friend, frankly. But he is the one that's venerated as a symbol of innovation and, and, and advanced technology, sort of like basically the messiah of the consumer internet age. Why? Because that's what our combined culture values. New, shiny, cool, necessary? Hmm, maybe. Hmm. And there's also that the sanctity of life concept is a religious one. Now, you know, okay, I'll be clear. I am not a religious person, but I acquiesce the idea of intelligent design or creator or at the very least an older being even within our universe that maybe spawned life. So I'm, I'm not an anti-God person. I think much of the philosophy that can be discerned from the stories and parables from our past are, are beautiful lessons. Lessons that should be discussed, remembered, in some cases revered, but I am an American. And in America, we don't make policy based on the notions of a religion. Because, note, not all Abrahamic religions even agree on this stuff. So, so for example, Christians defend the position, I'm generalizing, not all Christians, but most Christians will defend uh, uh, the idea that life begins at the zygotic level, the zygotic level, the zygote, right? But Muslims have an insolment idea, you know, insolment. This is an idea where they say that there is a moment when the biophysical part of us gains the soul. And they actually say it happens on the 42nd day after the zygote, you know, after the haploids, the sperm and the egg, you know, fuse. And then the egg shuts out all other uh, sperm. 
And, and that's also what the Greeks thought too. Aristotle said that it took uh, male embryos 40 days to be insold and female embryos, it took them 90 days. So even back then, man, damn, women have just been, it's not right, dude. Why? Why would it take women 90 days? Maybe it was like a, maybe it was a compliment. Maybe they were saying that the, the, the soul of the woman is twice as rich as the soul of the man. You think that's what was going on? <clears throat> Jews say that people are thinking even before they're born. We're all over the place as far as what even the religions believe to be true. But more fundamentally, this whole idea presumes that life is a gift from something. We can talk ontology and bioethics and beliefs this and social construct that and the bottom line is that none of that really matters not not one bit to a dying man who builds a life a family had dreams sacrificed created dreams inspired others raised children but now is having to endure not only the experience of his own body involuntarily and over a few short years, suffocating him, paralyzing him to a point where he can't swallow, he can't move, he can't scratch an itch on his thigh because he can't move his body. Or the child with leukemia, or the mother with Parkinson's, or your sister with Alzheimer's. These are, this is, this is tragedy, folks. This is devastating diseases. They eat you alive and then they eat your family alive because these things affect the sick and forever alter those that give care to the sick. Fine. In the care of ALS, you have to basically become your patient with ALS. You have to know their thoughts their desires, their needs, their fears, the whole thing, man. It, it, because when it gets bad, you become their body. You have to become their voice, even though there is barely an utterance that can be mustered. They say it's much easier when you're a family member, especially if you're a close one. <laughs> But uh, yeah, not sure that's the case because even though non-family caregivers get deeply connected with their patients, the family member has that emotional history and that bond that makes it uh, much harder to get through the days when you're constantly up and down with your anxiety and your fear and your love and your joy. It's, it's tough. So here's my thing. I think the 14-day rule makes the most amount of sense for all sides of this argument because we can't let this sort of thing happen to America again, all right? All right? We're at least five to ten years behind other industrial countries on stem cell regenerative therapies, and it's because of, and you know, everybody's makes does stuff that doesn't make sense. The left has done dumb things, but in this case, it's about the right-wing religious zealots, okay? So, and, and you know, I'm just gonna say, this is, this is what happened, okay? These, these are, these are facts, and I, um, I believe that they are undisputed, okay? So, first, early 1950s, there were some scientists that showed that mice can survive irradiation. If you took their spleens and you shielded them with bone marrow infusions. Um, okay, this was never seen before, okay, but there it is. Okay, so they thought that maybe bone marrow cells could gen basically reconstitute messed up systems. So the next two decades are spent on all sorts of cool new stuff like uh, uh, technologies, ways to transplant marrow, and ways to prove that stem cells renew and differentiate, that kind of stuff. So, oh, <clears throat> somebody's calling. Okay, so then came the 70s, and that's 73, Roe versus Wade, sure, everybody's probably heard that word before, term before, 
legalized um, uh, determination of pregnancies uh, in the U.S. Okay, uh, and then five years later, the first successful human in vitro fertilization um, took place, and it was called the test tube baby. Uh, because they basically uh, they conceived the zygote in a petri dish. It really shouldn't have been a test tube. It should have been a petri dish, maybe, because that's actually when it actually happened. Uh, but anyway, then after they created the zygote outside of the body of a woman, um, it was transferred to a womb, and uh, Louise Brown was born. Bing it. <laughs> Google it. Um, it's a real live woman, the English woman. But those two things, Roe v. Wade, Roe v. Wade, Roe, Roe Wade, Roe v. Wade, wow, that's a tough thing to say, um, and the first in vitro um, um, fertilization caused this uproar in religious communities basically across the whole country. And then that trickled up to the federal government, eventually creating regulations and barring the use of federal funds for research that experimented on specifically human embryos. But then in 1995, there was a research panel that basically went to Clinton, then President Bill Clinton, um, um, and said, okay, no, we need to, we should be funding federal research on embryo. We should be using federal funds to be researching this. We're crazy. The other industrial countries are doing it. Um, and, and and they said that, look, the way we'll do it is we'll do research on embryos that were left over from in vitro fertility treatments. But this panel also recommended um, that federal funding on research on embryos that were specifically created for experimentation also be approved. But, you know, Clinton um, only accepted half of that recommendation. And they said, you know, moral stuff, ethical concerns here, you know. So they said you can do the leftover embryo thing, but not the funding for the creation of embryos specifically for experimentation. Okay, all right. So then Congress catches up. What's happening here? So they intervened and they passed a bill which basically prohibited any federal funding for the Department of Health and Human Services um, to, to use it for research that results in dis the destruction of, of any embryo, period. Whether it's already... Um, uh, anyway, I get, I get upset. I get upset. So, meanwhile, South Korea, Panama, Mexico, uh, China, they're straight up gangster chugging forward and saying, sure, go ahead. If it'll save a life or two, it's worth it. In the States, private sector recognized that there was basically no way the religious puritanical roots of our country were going to be overcome as quickly as they needed it to be in order for them to be able to keep up with the Joneses on this kind of technology because it's expensive. All right, it needs to be done by the state. It, it's as big as the internet, folks. It's as big as penicillin. It's going to change who we are fundamentally for the better. And something as volatile and precious as our own evolutionary well-being shouldn't be left up to the whims and ways of imaginary invisible hands that are gonna guide the market to fund this kind of stuff. The initial cost is off the charts, but the payoff is worth it. Okay, anyway. So, 98 comes around and uh, privately funded research starts to go, okay, let's, 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 let's do this. Let's check this out. And they actually come up with some pretty interesting breakthroughs in, in human embryonic stem cells because, you know, remember, what was banned was federal funding. Private organization could do whatever they wanted to, all right? So anyway, um, when, when the private industry started coming up through some of these breakthroughs, it prompted the Clinton administration to say, okay, wait a second, we need to re-examine some of these guidelines for federal funding of embryonic research. So they changed their minds and they went back to their original stance of funding embryonic stem cell research as long as the embryos weren't created strictly for research. But something pretty major happened in 2000. Anybody remember? Yes, out goes Mr. Clinton, in comes, you know, basically the religious right. You know, they took over American politics and the newly elected president, Doug Bush, he made it basically so the funding would be provided for stem cell research, but only 
on the existing stem lines that were already cultured during the previous few years. So no new lines. You can't, you, they, they wouldn't allow, he's, the, the law said, you, know, you can't create new stuff. Only what you've already built. You can work on that. Once it's gone, it's gone. Finito. Essentially, they shut down government funding for pluripotent stem cell research. And that's how it stayed throughout the two terms of this guy's presidency. No government funding for stem cell research. And folks, um, this stuff costs billions, you know, not millions, billions. For example, <clears throat> you think we would have had the internet if it wasn't for government funding? Do you think global positioning satellites, you know, nav systems in your cars would have been developed by private industry if the government didn't fund it? You think private industry would have popped up GPS satellites, you know, to see whether or not people will dig this navigation thing. Do you know the financial risk a private company would need to be able to withstand to be able to make a move like that? It doesn't happen. Okay? Capitalism works until, you know, it doesn't. Then, okay. So finally, country gets back to its senses, elects a president, this guy, Barack Obama, um, in 2009 issues uh, an executive order called removing barriers uh, what was it it was it's uh, uh, yeah you removing barriers uh, um, uh, for responsible scientific research but throughout all those years private funding embryonic research totally legal so why didn't the market then make up for that lack of that socialist government investment. Where's that invisible hand, Mr. Smith? I gotta make a, make a bumper sticker. Where's the invisible hand, Mr. Smith? Where is it? Because it turns out capitalism works pretty well for the healthy and the strong, but not so much for the infirm and the dying, which if you ask me as a fundamental, that's the problem in our society. We have ordained greed as good. We have determined that if the market doesn't like it, then it must be worthless. And as I am seeing firsthand, my friends, life and death decisions for humans are based on actuarial tables. They're based on spending charts, based on fiscal risk assessments. That's the world we all refer to as the greatest country in the history of people. Doesn't that seem odd at all? All right, bottom line again. This is a convoluted matter and it has a lot of sides to it. And when we're faced with these types of things, we have to do, or at least we have to go back to what we as a nation, as, as a state, as a people, what we value. We've all agreed that living in America means that we won't impose one way of life over another unless it's causing undue harm as so determined by our codes and our laws. And our codes and our laws, they address persons, individuals. Remember, an embryo can turn into more than one person. You know, twins, triplets, and so on, right? It's pretty tough to then call a single embryo a person, isn't it? Because it might not be a single person. It might become two or three people. Okay, let me try uh, to explain the 14-day rule. Um, first, really, good stuff online if you go to youtube and just put on 14 day rule or put on uh, primitive streak you, there's some really great lectures and stuff that will explain this stuff much better than um a, a uh, uh than i can so, but I'll, I'll give it my my best shot but it's a fascinating concept uh, and it goes a little some like this all right so I, I mentioned the blastocyst in in another uh um, submission uh to my vlog here earlier right and the blastocyst is part of the process it's a stage of the embryonic development right so when the cells connect they turn into a zygote and the zygote then splits up into two and then four and then eight cells and and the, the cell the basically the developing embryo starts to travel down the what's called the fallopian tube <laughs> great word fallopian <laughs> um so um, and it continues to you know get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger with more cell division right and at some point that thing gets into this you know beautiful you know almost embryo but it's not quite there yet um, it's got the cells are getting bigger and bigger and the cells that are um 
closer to the center of this developing embryo, uh, are then some sort of a, a transformation starts to occur with them. Um, and uh, they, in, the, in this world, are referred to as the inner cell mass, right? So the inner cell mass kind of coagulates on one side of the inside of that embryo, right? So the outer cells kind of become like the, you know, the placenta or the umbilical cord, if you will, um, that will hold the actual, um, um, you know, the, the child that's developing. So the inner mass the inner cell mass is actually what becomes us, becomes the human being, right? So eventually, after that mass coagulates on one side of it, it gets, the blastocyst now actually gets put into the uterine wall. The timing is like perfect. I mean, it's, <clears throat> anybody who doesn't think there's a design going on there is, um, uh, anyway, so, um, and once it gets inside, then the, the, the inner cell mass start to flatten and they start to develop what they call the, the germ layers, right? The ectoderm and the mesoderm and the, the derms, right? Basically, the, the top level becomes the skin and then the center level is the organs and then the bottom derm is the bone structure. So it's basically the, the, the beginnings of the, um, an actual body is starting to form, but not quite yet, not quite yet, because on that all takes 14 days right for all of that what I just talked about to take and then on the at the end of the 14th day the darndest little thing happens on that flat disc that I was saying that's inside the what is now the embryo that the the flat disc on there's on the top derm on the top level there's a, a little indentation that suddenly is created and they call that the primitive node right and it's because the cells that are on that particular level are for some reason starting to fall into the lower level cells right the special cells start to uh, they, they start going hmm, maybe maybe we don't have to stay here at this level here hey look there's another level down there and they start looking into other levels right and so that deepening starts to then create this literally a groove that runs right along from the one side of the embryo right towards the middle and ladies and gentlemen, that is our butt. <laughs> Not just our butt, our, our reproductive system, our, our excrement, excrementing system, <laughs> words. Um, you know, it's literally, it's that, it's that, we all start with the butt, right? And you, as that streak develops, that basically becomes the access of, the axis of our body. Right, it becomes our legs, and you can actually see it when the streak—they call it the primitive streak—and when it starts to go up the cell, when it gets to the middle of the cell, it drops a little bit into the lower. The, the uh, I want to call it the ectoderm again. I'm sorry, I'm not a biologist, but the level with the bones, those cells, the streak suddenly stops and it drops and then suddenly your backbone starts to get developed and it goes up to the gorgeous brain and the mouth and all that goodness. So, what I'm finding to make the most sense and incidentally seems like this is the stance of most scientists across the planet, even those that are called themselves atheists will say, you know what? We will no longer experiment with embryonic um, cells after day 14 because they can't they totally can um, actually my understanding is quite recently they've been able to demonstrate that an embryo can live ex vivo outside the body for more than 14 days and I think they've even been able to say it goes for 16 17 days um, they've been able to demonstrate that the energy contained in the development process of the embryo can continue, you know, if you just project it, but they won't allow it to continue as a uh, bioethically for, for some rod, whatever, you know, it's even the most, um, um, you know, secular of scientists tend to adhere to this thing. Now, um, there are lots of exceptions. There are nations on the planet that will, um, go way beyond the um, stem cell research. So they'll try to extract stem cells. Uh, you know, I don't want to say this. This is a little too gross. So, uh, but believe me, there are countries all over the planet that will go way past that 
14-day embryonic stage. So that's what the 14-day rule is. And to me, it seems like it meets the needs of all sides, right? The, with the, the, the religious, uh, the believers who, you know, think that there's something wrong with people um, controlling their own evolutionary process, you know. Um, I contend that that's already happened, folks. That ship has sailed. <laughs> Um, because, you know, we have already evolved from Homo sapien, right? I mean, with the advent of these, you know, network technologies and, um, I mean, uh, you know, a lot of, lot of interesting thinkers across the country and across the world will suggest to you that we have evolved past Homo sapien sapien. Now we're a new thing. We're able to actually um, control our own destiny. Some people use terms like homo evolutis. I, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of interesting talk online. Um, <laughs> Reddit. <laughs> you ever gotten stuck in Reddit for a couple days? Anyway, um, so why am I making a big deal out of all this stuff? Who cares, dude? What do you know from stamp sales and stuff? So because I don't know if you heard, but my wife, she has Lou Gehrig's disease, right? It's a neurodegenerative disease. And what this neurodegenerative disease does is it just destroys your neurons so that you know the brain sends signals but the body won't listen don't work right but the damnedest thing happens and we know it it's happening we're seeing it there is empirical evidence it's not some quackery there's you can see it it's really happening you take the good stem cells and then you put it bug inside and the damnedest things happen and i'm not talking about just neurodegenerative stuff folks it happens with the heart it happens with the liver you know you have a broken part of the brain something is you know you had an epileptic seizure or some stroke happened and you lost part of your brain and now you can't remember the number nine for some odd reason folks I'm trying to be a little light here, but you know, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful because that stuff is pretty devastating too. It's not right. It's not all about ALS. No, this is about getting our heads together and saying, why, why? God wouldn't want the suffering of man. Why would God want us to, you know? Why would God say, hey, you can fix yourself. Here's how you fix yourself, but don't. Why would that happen? What, what God does that? No God does that. I don't do that. My father wouldn't do that. My, you know, anybody who loves doesn't do that. Um, so, um, it's because of misinformation, lack of understanding of what's happening. There are no children, there are no fetuses being, we don't touch anything. We, we don't do anything. We don't. But we have to be able to fund the use of at least embryonic stem cells. And, and why not? Why not? Uh, um, I think they're called zygotic stem cells. Why not? Why not use totipotent um, stem cells? Okay, I can see there's some bioethical lines there, right? Okay, because really the only reason you would need totipotent stem cells would be if you want to, you know create life, right? Like literally make a man or a person, you know what I'm saying? Because you don't need that. All you get out of that is the is the, the placenta cells and the umbilical cord cells, but pluripotent cells in embryos without, without ever, ever even seeing the semblance of anything that would come remotely close to being called a person. And the moment it does, right? That 14, 15 day rule, right? The, the, um, it's not a slippery slope. It happens. It happens, you know, by the 14th day, the end of it starts. Um, when that groove starts to get built, when, when we can see, ah, look, the cell, yes, the mechanics of everything is accurate. All of the, the mitochondria and the blah, 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 all the stuff works and the cell is able to initiate the transformation into a human being, okay, let's stop. Now look, a lot of folks would say, no, bro, that's not a human being, that's still a cell. It doesn't think, it doesn't breathe. Okay, all right, fine. But you know, let's, how about we do a little compromise here, right? Let's, right, let's, the educated 
people, let's do what's right for people. Because when we let this kind of fervor take over conversations, you know, life and death decisions can't be based on somebody's opinion, right? So, um, you know, politics, religion, and money are the things that are preventing my wife from being able to get the stem cell treatments that she desperately needs right here in California. No, instead, I have to sell my home, I might cash in my investments, beg people for money, um, so that I can take her to Mexico and have the treatment provided there. Don't get me wrong, I'm sure, actually I've heard, especially the dental treatment apparently is incredible in Mexico, but what? In the research capital of the planet, in the, in the richest society ever? We're gonna let dogma do this to us? And you can't, you can't wait to make these decisions. You can't say, well, you know, we're okay for now, so we don't really need to deal with the philosophy. We don't really need to deal with the morality. We don't really need to deal with, you know, uncomfortableness. No, no, because, you know, everything's okay here. Because when it happens to you, when your wife gets ALS, it's too late to take a stance. Yeah, so I might be preaching, but where was I? How much money have I, what, how much did I give to Parkinson's? How much, how much... Um, of a fight that I put up for Alzheimer's. No, it's not in my world. It's not going to happen to me. Um, so, 